0: The focus of the following Mishnah are the various medical or therapeutic procedures which one is or isn't allowed to do on Shabbos. Now, in general, to take medicine is forbidden midr'abonon on Shabbos, since you might come to crush herbs, or to crush the various ingredients for the medicine, and that would be a malochah midr'aysa. And we've discussed the various halachas early on in the mesechta. Of course, if the ill person is critical danger, then it is certainly permitted to violate any prohibition of Shabbos. Be it as it may, the Mishnah tells us that one is allowed to rub oil and massage it into the stomach of a person. Samish nice miss out these two words with Nimi Ayim, and they say it's referring to the entire body. But the point is, this is not considered to be a medical need. Even healthy people would do this sometimes. So as long as you do it softly, and are just doing it for enjoyment, it is permitted. Avalimis amelin, but it's forbidden to massage the body very forcefully, because that is considered to be a weak day activity, which requires lots of strength as well. And it therefore comes under the prohibition mid of Uv'din dechol weekday activities on Shabbos. Volomis Gordin, one is also not allowed to use a special tool which was used to scratch and scrub the body, usually when one was bathing. And once again, that is considered to be a uvdin dechol, a weekday activity. Continues the mission, in Yodin L'Kurdimo, one is not allowed to go to Kurdimo, which we're going to understand to be referring to a specific river. And the banks of the river, on the side of the river, it was very slippery and quite steep. So, it was very easy to slip there. And if one would slip, he would get very wet because it's right by a river. So, the mission is telling us that Midriab one is not allowed to walk there in case he slips and gets wet. And if all his clothes are wet, then we are concerned that he might come to squeeze the water out of his clothes, which is forbidden. Vein is an apikta vizin. One cannot do the procedure of apikta vizin, which comes from the word apikta which means take out cooked food and it refers to a procedure where somebody would take something in his mouth, some sort of pill, or some sort of potion which he would swallow, and it would cause him to vomit up the food which he had eaten. Now this of course is very similar to a medical procedure, it is very much like a curing process, and is therefore forbidden with Yabonan in case you come to crush up herbs and ingredients for medicine. Next, one is not allowed to move the bones of the spine of a child if he's got some joints or bones which are slightly out of place or need straightening, even if that can be done by hand it is forbidden on Shabbos because it is similar to Beine, to the Melacha of building because you're building and fixing that person's structure, his, his body and it is therefore forbidden One is simply not allowed to put back a broken or fractured bone because again, that's considered to be building and fixing up that person's body. Now, the truth is, in either of these two cases, if the person is in a lot of pain, then it is permitted to do it. And as well as that, like explains that actually, one is always allowed to move a bone which has been broken. Ends off the Mishnah. somebody whose hand or foot has been dislocated. And again, we're not discussing a case where he's in incredible pain. Le one is not allowed to wash them very forcefully with cold water, because that is, again, a healing, curing process. But he can wash his feet in a regular way, and his hands, he can wash them in a normal way, and if it turns out that it causes him to be healed, then great, he's healed, that's not forbidden, because it does not appear to be that he is doing it for medical purposes, and so we do not need to be concerned that he might come in the future to crush herbs for the sake of medicine. The second-last perech of the Mesechta continues the discussion of midr decrees against weekday activities, and in fact in Sefer Yeshia, the Novi Yeshia, the Prophet talks about keeping Shabbos and keeping the spirit of Shabbos alive, and one of the things which he says is that it's forbidden to pursue your personal desires, the Daber Dovar, and to speak in the regular way. And from here, the Chachomim deduced that it's forbidden to do any business on Shabbos. So that includes buying or selling, making precise measurements, for example. As well as this, the Chachomim said that it's forbidden to plan on Shabbos, to do things on not of Shabbos which cannot be done on Shabbos. V'dabar Dovor teaches us that even one's speech should have an elevated state on Shabbos. It should be focused around more holy things and Divrei Torah. Be it as it may, the first mission discusses the of prohibition against lending something to somebody else, but only in a specific way. Now, there are two ways to say the word borrow in Hebrew. One is she'elah, lish'ol, and one is halva'ah, lil'vois. And the main difference is that the word of halva'ah, that form of borrowing, refers to things which somebody takes and uses up, and then he gives back a different thing back to the owner. For example, if somebody borrows food, He's not going to give back that exact food to the owner, he's going to replace it. So that comes under the category of halva'a. Also, if somebody borrows money, you don't return that exact money to the owner. So that would also come under the category of halva'a. On the other hand, things and objects which you borrow, and then you return that exact object to the owner, that comes under the category of sha'ilah. Now when it comes to sha'ilah, the halacha is that since the person borrowing it is going to give back the exact same thing to the owner, it was understood that he wouldn't usually have it for so long, and as well as that, the lender is allowed to take it back whenever he wants. On the other hand, halva'ah was usually a longer-term loan, and unless they stipulated an exact time when the borrower would have to give it back, the halacha is that he has to give it back after 30 days, because it was understood that he would have it for quite a while. So the mission tells us that one is allowed to borrow jugs of wine or jugs of oil, from his friend as long as he does not tell him, lend me, using the special word of halva'a. Why? Because since we said halva'a refers to a long-term loan, where he doesn't give back that exact item, rather he replaces it with something else, we're concerned that the lender might come to write down a note for himself to remind him that he lent this thing to the person, because he knows he might forget in another month's time He won't remember that he lent this thing to the other person. So he might come to just make a note of it in order to remind himself, and he will thereby be violating the prohibition of writing on Shabbos. However, if he uses the other expression, the expression of She'elah, that usually refers to a shorter term lo- loan and so the lender is less likely to need to make a note for himself to remind himself, because anyway he's allowed to take it back whenever he likes. The same applies to a woman, she is allowed to borrow from her friend loaves of bread. But again she can only do it if she uses the word she'ela but not if she uses the word halva'a. The point of the Mishnah is that even the women would usually not write down when they lent somebody something. Nevertheless, we're still concerned that she might do so, and we did not make an exception in this case, and therefore she can also not lend something with the expression of va'a. Now, what happens if somebody wants to borrow something from somebody else, but the owner is not willing to give it to him without being able to write down that he lent it to him? Perhaps he doesn't trust him, or whatever it may be. So the Mishnah says to him, If he does not trust him, the borrower can leave his cloak With the lender, he can give him a deposit and then take whatever he wants to borrow. And then after Shabbos goes out, he can do a calculation with him, he can give back what he borrowed, or they can write up a document. However, although he is allowed to give the deposit of the cloak to the owner, to the lender, he can't explicitly say this is a deposit for the loan, because that was considered a weekday activity again, a weekday, a business-like activity. So you can give him the deposit, but as long as he doesn't say explicitly that this is because of the loan and you can keep this until I give back the thing which I borrowed. Machin Pesach the same applies to Erev Pesach. The day before Pesach begins in Yerushalayim, Mishal Chaliyot b'Shabbos. If Erev Pesach falls out on a Shabbos, so every Erev Pesach the carbon Pesach is brought and it's an absolute obligation to bring the carbon Pesach. But what happens if somebody didn't have an animal, and he forgot to buy one before Shabbos? Since it's only Midirah Bonon forbidden to buy and sell things on Shabbos, but Midyar he has an obligation to bring the Koran Pesach, he is allowed to buy an animal on Shabbos, and then slaughter it for the Koran Pesach. But if the person he's buying the animal for does not trust that he'll end up paying him, he can put his cloak with the lender, and he can te- and he, without as long as he doesn't tell him, but their understood agreement is that he'll only take the cloak back once he comes back to pay for the animal. And then when he tells Pisra, he can take his korim pesach animal and do a calculation and pay him after the first day of Yom Tov, because also on Yom it's forbidden to do business like activities. So only after the Sunday Yom Tov can he pay the man he got the animal from. Mishnah base. one of the weekday business-like activities which is forbidden on Shabbos is to read documents which are related to the business, and according to some, to read any non-Torah books, or any personal documents would also be forbidden, midrabanon. and Now, to prevent people from doing so, the Mishnah tells us that Menonimus Urchov, one is allowed to count his guests. If, let's say, he's trying to remember how many guests he's got, or his desserts, how many sweet dishes he'll need. He's allowed to count them from memory, Mepiv, from his mouth, Avalon Aksav, but he's not allowed to use a written-down list of all the names, because since this is similar to a document, and it's not Torah-related, it is forbidden so that he does not come to read documents on Shabbos. Another explanation is that it's forbidden so that he doesn't come to rub off or cross out any of the names on the list if he realizes they're not coming, or if he decides not to have all of the guests, so to prevent him erasing them, which would be forbidden mid he cannot even read through the list on Shabbos. Next case, one is allowed to cast lots with his children and the people who live in his house on the table, meaning on the portions of food which they're going to eat. And we are referring to people who are still dependent on their father for food and for support, so they're not actually paying for the food or anything. They understand that they're sort of getting this for free from their father. And so the mission says they are allowed to make lots for who is going to receive what portion, if let's say some of the portions of food are slightly bigger. The reason being that since they're not paying for the food, they're not so concerned about how much exactly they get. So they're not going to come to measure out how much they get. But if it is somebody who is paying for the food, or if they're not dependent on the father, so they're not really getting it for free, so then as soon as they're paying for it, now they're very particular about how much they get. So they might come to measure out the food which they receive, which is a business-like activity, and therefore forbidden mid on Shabbos. Now the next part of the mission that the Gemara explains is referring to other people, so not people who are dependent on their father for food, Rather, people who are paying for their food. And in fact, we're not even discussing Shabbos. On a regular weekday, one is only allowed to cast lots for who, which one of the guests is going to receive which portion of food. <laughs> This is only permitted if you don't intend to make a large portion corresponding to a smaller portion. Meaning if the portions are different sizes, then it is forbidden to make lots. To make a lottery for which guest is going to receive which portion. Because of gambling. This is very similar to gambling and gambling is forbidden. The reason being that the person who loses Had he known that he would lose, he would never have gambled. So that means that when he put his money down, he didn't want to give the money to the other person, he was only doing so because he wanted to win. So for the person who wins the gamble to take the money, that is considered stealing, at least on a Midyar Bonon level, because the other person did not give away his money out of his own desire. So only if the portions are all basically equal, only then can they make lots, because it is not similar to gambling, since each portion is pretty much worth the same amount. The Mishnah ends off with a similar discussion, on Matilim Chaloshim Ala It is permitted to cast lots, to make a lottery. For carbonis, which are eaten by kurnim on Yom So, when splitting the carbonis between the kurnim, the carbonis which had been offered up on Yom they can make a lottery because this shows how eager they are to eat the carbonis, and it's really a mitzvah to eat the carbonis, so it's also not so similar to gambling, and therefore it's permitted. I but it's forbidden to do this for portions of Carbonus which had been offered up before Yomtev. Although, of course, they are allowed to eat those Carbonus on Yomtev. Since they could have cast the lots before Yomtev came in, the Arbonne did not apply this leniency to those carbonus, rather only to Carbonus which were offered up on Yomtev itself and therefore could not have been done before. Mishnah Gimel. Part of the intention of the posseh, mimtzei Davar," one can't pursue his own desires, his personal business needs, and he can't speak in the regular weekday manner, Part of that, as you mentioned, is doing things on Shabbos as a plan for after Shabbos. You can't plan to do something which is forbidden on Shabbos after Shabbos. And an example of that is, <laughs> by Shabbos. one is not allowed to hire workers on Shabbos. One also cannot tell his friend to hire workers for him. Now, though this second part of the Mishnah seems very obvious, of course, if you can't do it yourself, you can't tell your Jewish friend to do it for you. Rather, well, the point of the mission is to show us that the only forbidden thing over here is to actually say it. But if you go to him and say, let's see if you're gonna be with me this evening, or you hint him in another way that you want him to come and do something for you, since you didn't actually say that you want to hire him, it is permitted because the Posak says, that your speech needs to be more holy. But if you just hint it to him and he realizes it without you saying it, then it would be permitted. Now the Halach is the one who's not allowed to travel further than 2000 Amas outside of the city on Shabbos. that's known as the Tchum Shabbos, And the mission tells us that in Mahsichna Latchum one is not allowed to walk to the edge of the Tuchum, to the edge of the 2000 amos, so that he's there when it gets dark on Shabbos going into Motzei Shabbos, so that straight away as Shabbos goes out, he can go list pealim alim al-Havi Peirais to go and hire workers or to bring produce from somewhere, because these two activities are forbidden on Shabbos, so you can't walk in order to plan and prepare to do those forbidden activities after Shabbos. We're talking about produce which is attached to the ground, so it will be forbidden to detach them on Shabbos, and therefore you can't even plan and prepared to do that after Shabbos. However, the marsha Khulishmer, he is allowed to go there so that he's there for when it gets dark if his intention is just to guard the produce. So he's not planning on necessarily picking the produce. The main reason why he wants to go there is so that he can guard it. So since it's permitted to guard it on Shabbos itself... So, he is also allowed to prepare to do that on Shabbos. Or maybe the is And he is actually also allowed to bring back the produce with him. He can then detach the produce and bring it back with him, after Shabbos, of course, because since the main reason why he went there was to guard the produce and not to do the forbidden thing. So, once he's guarded the produce, then he is actually also allowed to do the thing which is forbidden on Shabbos, because that was not the main reason why he went. So it's not considered to be preparing for a forbidden activity, because really he was only preparing to guard it, which is permitted. So he explained that according to the Tanakhama, one is allowed to go to the edge of the Tachum only if the reason why he's doing it is to do something which is permitted on Shabbos. Now, Abashol argues slightly. Klal Omer Abashol, Abashol said a rule. Anything which I am innocent, anything which I am allowed to say on Shabbos, so anything which I can tell somebody else on Shabbos to do it for me after Shabbos, that thing, Rashi Ani I'm allowed to walk to the edge of the Tuchum in order to do that myself after Shabbos. And this includes anything which is permitted on Shabbos itself, of course, like the tanakama, but as well as that, anything which is to do with a mitzvah, One is also allowed to tell somebody to do on Shabbos. And according to Abishol, not only can you tell somebody to do that on Shabbos, you're also allowed to actually walk to the edge of the Tuchum in order to plan and prepare to do that mitzvah as soon as Shabbos goes out.